Please be seated and welcome to Christ the King. The passage that we'll be looking at is Ephesians chapter 2. You just heard it read. It may be helpful to have that passage in front of you. You can find some sermon notes as well in the back of your service leaflet. This is a wonderful passage out of, this is a wonderful passage out of Ephesians and wonderful for two reasons. First, it's a great passage to summarize what we're about to do, and that is a baptism. This passage is chock full of all the good words that you need to know. And second reason uh, that this passage is a great passage is a, is a perfect period at the end of the sentence of the sermon series that we're in. So you're going to get a little bit of two sermons in one. So let's first think about why this passage is and how this passage is so appropriate for a service of baptism. And I just want to highlight all of the big words that we're going to hear or that you heard in this passage. So look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. There are, first word, you have been saved. Christianity is a religion of salvation. Christianity is concerned with heaven and hell and sin and righteousness and eternity with God. Our salvation is not the only concern of the Bible, but boy, it is a big one. Your eternal happiness with God. You are saved. How are you saved? You're saved by grace. I think our candidate is a, uh, a soccer player. So if you were to ask our candidate, how did your soccer team win? Uh, they may, the response may be, well, we won by skill or we won by luck. That word by is indicating the cause of the victory. You are saved by grace. Grace is the cause of your salvation. How did you win? We won by skill. How were you saved? You were saved by grace. And grace, again, is one of the great words of the Bible. Grace is unearned, unmerited love and affection. The closest you and I are ever going to get to grace this side of eternity is a mother's care for an infant child. An infant has nothing to offer, has done nothing, but that mother knows almost instinctively that they would give their life. And that's exactly what God has done for you. By grace, he gave his son, Jesus, so that you might be saved. How are you saved? By grace. How is that grace received? It is received through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. Through is simply describing how something travels. Water travels through a pipe. Electricity travels through wire. You go over the forest and through over the hills and through the woods. It's important that we get this distinction right because we may think, boy, I need a lot of faith. There's nothing wrong with a lot of faith. A lot of faith is great, but you're not saved by your faith. You're saved by grace. How much faith do you need? Just enough to get wet. You know, a little water can travel through a clogged pipe and God can act with just a little faith. One of my mentors is fond of saying, a little faith in a great God is all you need. How much faith do you need to be a recipient of God's grace? Just enough to go into the waters of baptism? Just enough to renounce the things that will soon be renounced? Just enough to affirm the things that will soon be affirmed? Christianity is a religion of salvation, of God's grace given for you and me and the gift of his son, and that is received through faith. 
So that's a summary of baptism. That's some of the big words that you're going to hear in our service and that are found right in our passage. And now we're going to transition because over these past couple of weeks, we've thought about our service of worship. For the month of August, we've thought about how we come together as the people of God because what we do here matters. What we do in worship shapes your belief and shapes our lives. So we've thought about the various aspects of our worship service, and now we come to the fifth and final sermon of that series, and we're going to think of how we leave, how we leave the church. We've thought about we gather humbly, we listen attentively to God's word, we gather around the table, and now we are sent into the world. And again, this is a great passage for that very subject because you can see We are not saved by our works, but God has created us for good works, which God has prepared for us that we should walk in them. So, we're going to ask a couple of questions of this passage to help us think about how you and I should leave this service of worship or any service of worship. We're going to ask of this passage, what are the kind of works that are you and I supposed to do? Where do you find them, and how do you do them? So three questions. What are you and I sent to do? You're going to hear this prayer uh, in our closing, in our clo- you're going to hear this passage in our closing prayer. In our closing prayer, we're going to say that, ask that God would send us out to do the work that he has prepared for us to do. What kind of works are they? Well, they're good. The works that you and I are sent to do are good works. And what are good works? Good works are good wor- are works that flow from a right relationship with God. Notice the passage does not say you are saved by your works. No, you are saved by grace. You're not saved through your works. You're saved through faith. But you are saved for good works. Good works are those types of works that flow from a good relationship with God. And further, good works are those types of works that reflect God's character. All throughout the Bible, we find that the people of God should, in some way, reflect the character of God. Very common theme throughout the Bible. Be holy, because I am holy, we find in Leviticus. Pick up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. Why? Because he picked up his cross. And so what a good work is a work that flows from a right relationship with God and in some way reflects God's character his loving character, his justice, his care, his compassion, his courage, his uh, fortitude, his strength, his care for the orphans, his uh, consideration of the poor. Good works reflect his character. Simple. Let's go to our second question. Where do you find these good works? Are you just, because that's a pretty broad palette, right? God is compassionate, he is just, he is mercy. Are you just supposed to go out and look for compassionate, just, loving, kind things to do? It's not a bad idea, but our passage has a pretty interesting uh, hint as where you find good works. And it says that God has prepared good works for you to walk in. It's kind of strange. What does it mean that God has prepared good works for you to walk in. Well, let me give you an example, a biblical example of God preparing a good work, and then a personal example of how God prepares good works. 
Okay? So a biblical example of God preparing a good work comes from the New Testament, the book of Acts. One of the big challenges for the early people of God was uh, the church eventually broke out of its Jewish uh, heritage, right? Jesus was Jewish, all the disciples were Jewish, and one of the defining characteristics of that those people were kosher laws. Now, you'll note that most Christians don't follow kosher laws. Why is that? Well, eventually the kosher laws were lifted and the church declared, hey, you can eat whatever you want. It was a big deal because it opened the doors for any and all to come into the, in, into the church. So how did those kosher laws get repealed? Great question. The story is in Acts chapter 10, verse 11. The key actor is a, a disciple named Peter. Uh, Peter sees a vision from God. God says, hey, all animals are clean. He's sent to uh, a Gentile's house who's eating all sorts of food and sees that God's grace has fallen on the Gentiles. He goes to the church and says, hey, guys, it looks like Gentiles can receive God's grace as well, regardless of what they eat. And the church council says, great, sounds good. And that's how it happened. However, the Bible includes this interesting detail. It tells us where Peter was staying when he received this vision that, hey, all animals are clean. You can eat whatever you want. And it tells us three times Peter was staying at a particular house with a man who had a particular occupation. Does anybody know? He was staying in the home of Simon, whose job was a tanner. Now, what's a tanner? A tanner is somebody who skins animals. And three times in this little short story, we're told, hey, Simon was staying at Simon, Peter was staying at Simon's house, and Simon was a tanner. It says it again, go get Peter, who's staying at Simon, who happens to be a tanner. Hey, uh, again, why? <laughs> because Peter is hanging out with all these animals, dead animals, kosher animals, clean animals, unclean animals, split-hoofed animals, you know, any type of animal. And it's while he's hanging out with all these, he's set up. God has prepared a good work for him to do. A biblical example, right? That is a good work prepared for us to do. Now, what about a personal example? Because this sort of stuff happens all the time. Personal example, uh, about four years ago when there was so much turmoil in the Democratic Republic of Congo, I gathered with a group of pastors and I thought, boy, I would sure love for our church to do some good in that area. One of the pastors had a friend who was involved with social services, and that afternoon I got a call from a social service organization out in Fairfax. And they said, hey, we have a good man who is in an awful situation. Uh, he's from the Democratic Republic of Congo. He needs a lot of help. Only problem is he only speaks French. Can you help? And I said, Likely, no. <laughs> I don't know anyone who speaks French. I don't know exactly what we could do. Fast forward about one or two hours. I'm having a conversation with a member of our church. And that member of the church, somehow it comes up. And this member of the church says, hey, you know, I speak French. We weren't talking about this subject. And I said, really? You speak French? That's interesting. How did you learn to speak French? He said, well, my dad grew up in the Democratic Republic of Congo. <laughs> And I thought, well, <laughs> so I picked up the phone. I said, hey, I think we can help. 
The word, the fancy theological word for this is called prevenient grace. And you can see it in our prayer book, or the opening prayer that we just prayed, another little providential occasion. Do you look at our prayer? It's printed in your service leaflet. It says, may God's grace go before us. God, go set me up for good works, prepared for me to do. Does that mean that every day you're going to have some sort of spider tingly sense that, you know, probably not. But I think the more you and I pray this type of prayer of, I'm open, I, I'm ready to do your will. May your grace go before me. You know, so with this, all the turmoil in Afghan, and I know many of us are connected uh, to the sad uh, situation over there. Again, I've reached out and I've said, what can a church like ours do? I don't know. And I feel like that should be our attitude, our, our, our conversation with God. God, you're, you're hurting world. I'm ready to help. Send your grace before me. So that's where you find him. God sets you up for good works. Third and final point, how do you do him? Notice it says that God prepares good works. It doesn't say God does them. He may set you up, but you got to do it. Peter had, I'm sure there was a few people in that church council who thought, you know what, I really like kosher laws. I bet Peter had a little bit of a, you know, a tussle. Uh, and point being that God may set you up for a good work, but boy, you still have to walk in them. This past uh, Friday, I was at a commissioning service, a change of command. It's really one of the privileges of ministry in this area to be able to participate in these types of events, retirements, and change of commands. And there's, you've probably been to these as well, but there's a moment in the service, a military service, where uh, I don't have the exact phrases, but one officer says, um, I relieve you of command. And the other officer says, I stand relieved. And with that, there's a change. Like, the new officer has a new job. The new officer has a new responsibility, a new authority to get that job done. And I think we just need to recapture a little bit of that for our service of worship. Go. Go forth. Our closing psalm, go forth with joy. And it is joyful to walk in the good works that God has prepared for you. It is a great thing. At the end of a confirmation service, that's the one sacrament we're not going to celebrate this Sunday. But at the end of a confirmation service, the bishop is supposed to give you a slap on the cheek. He's supposed to pray for you. May God fill you with the Holy Spirit, and then pop. Why? What he's saying is, you're ready. Go. Get out into the world. You're not going to get a slap on the cheek at this service, but that's a little bit of how we should feel. We've, we've gathered humbly. We've listened attentively, attentively to God's word. We've confessed as a body corporately. We've eaten deliberately the bread, the wine, the body and blood of Christ. And now it's time to go. It's time to go into the world for the good works that he has prepared for you to do. Amen.